DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. Shane joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Shane, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. I am curious. Do you believe Chris Paul is going to break through and go to the NBA Finals for the first time tonight? The Suns up 3-1 at home against the Clippers. We know the Clippers rallied against the Mavs and the Jazz. It's still a source of a little bitterness here. Uh, are they going to get off the deck down 3-1 and, and take it to the Suns, or do the Suns wrap it up right now? I cannot believe I'm saying this after 16 years of watching this guy play basketball, but it's happening. Chris Paul is going to the finals. Now, I don't necessarily know if game five will be it because, as you said, I think the most resilient group all year, I don't think this is a stretch to say it, I think the most resilient group all year has been the Clippers. Uh, Despite what, you know, despite anything that happens to them, whether it's an injury, whether it's just, abhorrent shooting performances like they had in game four, which was which was just one of the worst fourth quarters you will ever see in modern basketball, college or NBA, and that's saying something. Um, they continue to bounce back. I mean, it's just like, you know, Reggie Jackson's been their second option with Kawhi out, so uh, that's fascinating to see, and I'm glad that he's doing well. But I think the Suns have too much. I think the Suns, just their half-court defense, is, you know, I think it was right under Utah's this year, uh, Utah and the Lakers, you know, during the season. But right now it's, it's kicked it up to another gear, to another level. And I think I think they're smelling blood, and they, they can feel it. So the Suns win it all? I think the Bucks will probably have the upper hand there. Um, I'd, I'd, I like Milwaukee's size. I like Milwaukee's uh, shot creation with Chris Milton right now. Uh, Middleton versus Booker in the mid range will be will be one of the best battles you'll see, um, and and I mean just up and down the board through Holiday uh, against Chris. I mean two of the feistiest, best defensive point guards in the league. But I think Milwaukee would have the upper hand. So is Milwaukee finished off Atlanta in your mind? I mean it's two one. Oh yeah. So, but it's well, I I do think it would be. Uh, I, you know whenever Atlanta won Game One. I was telling everybody because we were in Phoenix, um, uh, you know, covering the covering that series, and I was just telling everybody, look, I think Milwaukee's going to win four straight. <laughs> I just think they're they're so good, and it, it takes one game, as we've seen in other series, particularly from the Clippers, it takes one game to kind of kind of get a feel on how you want to guard certain players, and Trey Young is that guy. And now with him having that ankle sprain, nah, it ain't it ain't looking good. So what's the difference with the Bucks from uh, last year to this year? Obviously, they got Drew Holiday. He's mm-hmm. a different player in terms of being in the lineup. Is that it, or is there more to it? Drew, right, there is more to it, but it but it always goes back to Drew because of how much they can switch. I don't think last year defensively you could switch Eric Bledsoe onto whoever and and live with the results. And then Bledsoe would obviously make his blunders have his mistakes deep into the uh, most pivotal games, most pivotal pivotal moments uh, of the East Finals and, and, and such. And I think Drew Holiday, despite never really being on that stage before, you know, he's only made the second round, I believe, with um, with New Orleans. But, like, despite never being on this type of stage, he's just built for that moment. Like, I, I think Drew, 
is a much better off the dribble uh, creator and shooter than Bledsoe was last year. I think he is a better spot up guy, better decision maker, um, and uh, you know maybe a better leader and teammate. And it's just like I, you know, I think I think that has mattered. That has changed the culture. And you know, you have to actually give credit. Not not a lot of people want to do want to do this, but you have to give credit to Mike Budenholzer for actually changing things up a little bit and saying, okay, we're not going to play our traditional defense of drop coverage. We're just going to switch a lot more. And that's made them dominant on both ends. Shane Young joining us, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. It seems weird to be a coach. I mean, people have always think, always think they know more than coach, and it's easier to blame mm-hmm. the coach than it is to blame the star player, especially if you're a fan yeah. who has some type of perceived self-perceived uh, emotional connection to the star player. It's easier to dump on the coach. But early, you, you look at Twitter, which, of course, is a crazy thing to look at sometimes. <laughs> but you look at Twitter and Ty Lue, oh, he's being outcoached by Quinn Snyder. And then Quinn Snyder, ah, oh, he's being outcoached by Ty Lue. Doesn't it just come down to, like, sometimes you got better players than the other guy? And if you switch coaches, the same team would win, and the other coach would look smarter? Dude, you have read my mind. You have taken the words out of my mouth with that because – I don't understand. I've never understood assigning credit or assigning blame to, to coaches and, you know, saying they should lose their job for certain things. Like, there were even, you know, this is not representative of the jazz fan base. I, I think this was just a few jazz fans. I should say that. But like, there were people saying, like, should they have a coaching change? <laughs> just because, like, they, they lost in the second round to a really, really damn good team. And, you know, it, it's it's always mind-boggling to me whenever people want to, as, as we said, either assign full blame or or give full credit to those coaches. You know, I think Phil Jackson is not another one. Like, does he deserve the full credit for what he did with Michael Jordan and, and Kobe and Shaq? Like, absolutely not. But it's uh, it, it's just it's a weird dynamic, as you said. And I think, you know, going back to your point there, if you if you put Ty Lue on the Jazz, like. I'm sorry, but he's not going to have a small ball center available to him. He doesn't. He's not going to be able to bring Nick Batum from the Clippers to the Jazz, right? Like I think the, I think Rudy Gobert would still be stretched a little bit thin. And in that series, which I'm I'm very disappointed, I didn't get to go back to Salt Lake City for Game Seven because I really loved it there. It, you know, for the three days I was there, that series went by so fast. I felt like, but um, I I think. With Rudy, like, you know, it, it wasn't an indictment on him what happened in that series either. It was more so, like, just the personnel. Like, they, they the Jazz had no uh, variation. They had no lineup flexibility. They could only go big with, with Gobert or Favors. Like, they just couldn't manufacture lineups that could either deter the Clippers from shooting lights out from three or, or make it tough on them. So what do you think of the latest move that came down with Dennis Lindsay and the Jazz? More so from a, from an outside perspective, someone that's not in the market. I'm kind of just waiting to see how the dominoes fall. Like, I'm, I'm wondering why it happened. I'm wondering, like, you know, what's, what's going to be what, – what's the impact actually going to be? Because a, a lot of the times you see, like, front office members uh, leaving their roles or, or going to a different – being assigned to a different role. And really, like, the, the long-term effect is – you can't really put your finger on what the long-term effect is going to be. So I'm kind of just waiting to see how the dominoes fall. How, how do you guys feel about it? Waiting to see how the dominoes fall. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't, you know, the whole personnel side, one person can't do it. You've got to scout guys internationally. You've got to scout 
pro guys. You got to scout college guys. And so, is it basically going to be the same team? Will there be small changes? Will there be a ton of changes? Um, you know, it, it isn't one person sitting up there with a magic wand. I mean, somebody's got to make the final decision, but there's so much that goes into the process leading up to the final decision, and sometimes you still just have to get lucky. You draft somebody yeah, who could have been good who ends up injury-prone, and you pass on a guy who stays healthy and ends up being really good. Yeah, and even going, kind of going on that point, going to trades too, like, like when it's trade season, I think fans kind of fall into this trap of thinking that it's just like one guy. It's like, you know, let's use like a – I don't know the 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 Celtics example. Like like it's not only Danny Ainge that is that is pulling the trigger and making those decisions. Like it, it's a team full of like twenty plus people that that's you know kind of like conversing on the subject and, and evaluating the players and and evaluating the long term short term effects of, of said trade. So you know it, it's not going to be just one one guy or one person uh, that that's kind of making the decisions. Right. I'm, as a fan, from the fan perspective, I'm more, way more interested in what is the decision rather than who's making the decision. Yeah. And so is the decision right? Because you can look at any general manager, so to speak, or any group of people. This is the group that thought that trading on draft day for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell was a great idea, and they mm-hmm. were great ideas. And this is the same group that thought Trey Lyles should be drafted ahead of Devin Booker. <laughs> Man, I still forget that Trey Lyles was on Utah. I still like until I watched Kobe's game, Kobe's sixty-point game again. That's when I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the point being, everybody has hits and misses, and you hope that you have more hits than misses. Yeah, and really, like no front office. Even the Spurs, uh, Spurs have a long track record right. of being uh, you know, awesome but they don't do in-season trades. Like, even the Spurs are not 90 to 10 in terms of, like, exactly. the scale of, of, of having great moves. Like, it's more so, like, 60-40 or 70-30. Yeah. And then I think there's the question of, um, you know, people have title, but, you know, uh, wh- where does it go from there as far as, like, Dwayne Wade is an advisor, right? Dennis Lindsay's an advisor. Mm -hmm. But as a part owner, well, of course he's obviously an advisor. So how much does he choose to weigh in? How much impact is there when he does weigh in? Right? So there's a whole lot of X factors that go beyond the title. And Wade, like, you know, I think Wade is going to have a voice no matter what just because of how close he is with Ryan and how, like, just his position now and, and actually being in Salt Lake City and being around the culture and stuff. And, um, but I don't, you know, it's always tricky because, like, he has zero front office ex- experience. And I'm not saying, like, he's in the front office necessarily and having those talks and having those decisions. But, um, you know, it is, it is, it, 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 it does feel weird when you have such a renowned veteran, renowned, like, a Hall of Fame legend there, then you don't, you don't necessarily, like, want to lean on him fully because he, do, he doesn't have that experience as a, as a guy that can give you that type of, like, advice. What's going down in Portland really has me intrigued because where do they go? They've got a guaranteed bona fide superstar at the top, but they're sort of running in place. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It's more, Now it's like damage control. Now they have to just make sure Dan, uh, Dame Willard is, is content and okay with the hire of Tony Billups. I know there's a lot of stuff that, you know, 
allegations from back in you know 1997 and such. And I think that uh, I think Dame. This is just my read on it. I think he kind of like is trying to save face here um, by saying that he wasn't a part of that coaching search or you know he didn't give his opinions, which we know from reporting last week that he did. He did give his that give his option. So just kind of weird to see him backtrack into the whole organization. Uh, have this like you know damage control going on, but I, I got to tell you, he's got four years left on his contract, and if I'm the Blazers, nobody and nobody in history has ever been that talented to be on to be in that franchise. Clyde Drexler included. Like Dame is the best Blazer ever, and I'm sorry, like I'm not trading you unless it's unless I get absolutely blown away by a deal. So. It's one of those things where if he comes to you and says he wants out, I just say I love you, Dame. I respect you so much, but uh, tough luck. You're you're here with us, and and we're not we're not sending you anywhere until we have something that we and that we particularly like from a trade package. Well, the length of the contract seems to give them quite a bit of power for the next two years, but uh, then the power will start shifting towards mm-hmm. him. So they need to get it right pretty quick, right? Oh yeah, I mean they have to. Things have to be cordial before, and I think it, it still could be. I think it still is. Um, things have to be good before opening night because, like, you don't want to start the season on a bad note because then that will ruin this season. Then you're down to three years, and as you said, time the, the clock will start ticking. So um, more so than anything, it's like figure out if you want to have this infrastructure, this this uh, roster in place. Like, if, if you want to break up CJ and Dame, like, try to get a really good deal for CJ and get some more – versatility and defense because they are they for the last three years man they have been one of the worst defenses you could ever lay your eyes on it's bad so they do need to try to get some defensive versatility in there shane we appreciate the time as always thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you again thanks have a good one man shane young nba analyst and columnist for forbes sports